0: And I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty, Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves, and to help our companies Take on different strategies. Pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you gotta have great tasting food. You gotta have great tasting beverages. Package goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're gonna lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge, go back, pick out some brands, some CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're gonna find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week, but I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week. Stay tuned for this week's episode. All right, here we are on winning at work. As you know, this is a $1.6 trillion industry, but how could it be that size if we didn't have plant-based food manufacturers and co-packers, the infrastructure for so many of these great companies that we're coming to know and love? And that's going to be one of our topics today. I am really excited to introduce to everyone Lauren McNamara. Lauren, welcome in.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Tony.
0: Well, I'm surprised you even have time to come in and talk to us. When people find out what it is you do for Sunopter, they're going to, they're, they're probably going to imagine you out on the floor uh, actually having this podcast. <laughs> yeah, every managing. so often
1: I have to step away from the oat milk and and talk to other people. So
0: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, all work and no play as they, as they say, well, um, I want to give people a, kind of an overview of kind of where you're coming from, your area of expertise. You you did graduate from the University of Virginia, the Darden School of Business, where you got yeah. your MBA. And you got your chops in General Mills. And kind of fast forwarding a little bit, now we are vice president, assistant general manager for plant-based food and beverage for Sunopta.
1: Yes, I am. And it's a very exciting time to be a part of a business that um, has a hand in furthering the plant-based food and beverage movement.
0: Well, and I think you guys are my first publicly traded company. Typically, I have more the smaller kind of uh, emerging type brands, but there I have known about you guys. I've seen you guys quite a bit on LinkedIn and I was kind of reading through your profile and I thought you just really are the perfect person to have come in and just, we're going to get into SunOpt and and exactly what you guys do, but uh, you've been growing and building this plant-based operation out and it's, it's enormous and I really just can't wait to kind of pick your brains. I found a really interesting write-up on you guys, and I wanted to read that. It's um, Sunopta manufactures natural, organic, and specialty products sold through retail and food service channels. Sunopta operates as a manufacturer for leading natural and private labels and also proudly produces its own brands, including Sown, Dream, Westlife, and Sunrise Growers. So we have so much to cover, but tell us a little bit about – why you think that SunOpta really stands out from the crowd, you know, different, better, and special from other food manufacturers?
1: Well, I think we have a very unique business model. There's not a lot of other food manufacturers that partner with others as widely across the industry as we do. Um, You know, as you just read, we sell products to the food service channel, we do private label partnering with retailers. We co-pack for leading brands. We sell ingredients to other manufacturers. We have our own brands. I mean, and we're in a bunch of different categories as well. Um, and we're really good at the very specific things that we do. And, and typically you would see a business that's only focused on brands or only focused on private label. Um, and we we love, and I think it's really um, uh, to our advantage and our customers' advantages that we cover so many different areas of the market and we go to market in so many different ways.
0: Yeah, and you need an expertise for each of those areas. And you guys are in, as you said, you know, ingredients, you do co-packing, private label, food service. You know, some companies are just happy to be successful in, in, in one of those. And your role, I thought, was particularly interesting because not only are you, you know, operational, and responsible for, you know, expanding plants and um, kind of knowing where the trends are and helping the company be prepared to take advantage of those future trends. But you're also responsible for new business development. So I thought that was a yes. an interesting pairing. So are you like a left brain, right brain person? How do you,
1: <laughs> how I'm did this really even nice. happen? Yeah, I, well, I love that um, marketing and is it overlaps very much with general management. And I think of it as how do I bring things to market? And that uh, requires thinking about a lot of different things. It, it requires thinking about, well, what customers do I want to work with? Where am I going to sell this to? Uh, how am I going to get this on shelf? Do I have enough capacity to make this? What ingredients are available? What things do consumers want to eat? So it's for me, it's just this perfect Um, combination of all of these different things that I love thinking about. I love solving puzzles. Um, And to me, a lot of these things are just different puzzle pieces that you have to fit together uh, to kind of create a successful business.
0: Well, in our pre-podcast call, and that maybe pulls the, the covers back a little bit for people, we don't just come into this thing totally cold, Um, we both have day jobs. There's no way we could do this if we didn't know where we were going. So I, I already know, um, that you've done a lot of work and research to understand consumer preferences and you've seen trends and you've, you know, you've helped your company, you've helped your uh, clients get into, you know, profitable plant-based, um, categories. So, Looking ahead, can you tell me what other trends that you're starting to see? Are there consumer preferences as you kind of look ahead?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, in the plant-based milk space, which is where we primarily play, um, we are seeing oat milk just continue to take off. And prior to the last well, probably two-ish years, um, the plant-based milk category was was big and growing, but almond milk was really uh, king. And almond milk is still king, but we're seeing tremendous growth from oat milk. Um, and we were uh, in a position a few years ago to see this happening. And I think that's a benefit of us playing in so many different spaces. Um, we you know, hear things from ingredient vendors, from customers. We see trends on shelf. We're monitoring what consumers are doing. And you know, we saw this oat milk thing starting to become interesting. And when you think about it, a lot of the dairy alternatives that are out there that were out there before oat milk, they had very specific benefits, but also some drawbacks. For example, if you have a nut allergy, you know, almond milk or cashew milk is not going to be for you. If you have a soy allergy, soy milk is not going to be for you. Um, Coconut has I think a very enjoyable flavor, but some people really don't prefer that specific flavor. So there's different different pieces of each one that are, um, I think, based you know personal preference or dietary restrictions would be you know you you would be able to pick the right choice. But oat milk, it tastes great. There's no allergens. Um, it's North American grown. It's a very sustainable option when you compare it to. Uh, dairy and either even some other plant-based options. Um, and oats are a, a product and a food that people are very familiar with. They you know have been eating it for breakfast and in snacks and in other things for years and really perceive it to be um, very healthy for you. And so people feel very good about drinking oat milk. Um, and so you can see that it has a lot of benefits. And there's a lot of reasons why it was very poised to, to take off. And we were able to invest in that very early on and um, position ourselves and as a a leader in oat milk. And also, as you said, help our customers get into and grow their oat milk businesses.
0: You know, so many of these plant-based food companies, they they have a mission. They have a a purpose beyond just, you know, feeding people and, and being profitable. How important has it been for companies in that space to align with a partner like you do are there certain conversations that come up like just making sure values are aligned or is you know when you're bringing on a new customer is it just kind of you know black and white this is what we're capable of of handling for you or does any of the mission kind of come into play when you're when, when a manufacturer's trying to you know find a partner
1: absolutely and that's something that um, we talk a lot about with our customers, and increasingly, I think when they are vetting us as a as a partner, they want to understand how are we sourcing, where are we sourcing from, what are our sustainability goals, how are we making progress on them? Um, are there and then always kind of continuing to discuss? Are there more sustainable options that we could be using? And one of the things that I think aligns really well is that primarily our beverage production is um, shelf stable uh, packaging, which we in, in the industry refer to as aseptic. So when we produce um, these plant-based milks, they go into a package that doesn't have to be refrigerated um, in a warehouse. It doesn't have to ride in a refrigerated truck. It doesn't have to be refrigerated at the store. So you're kind of saving um, energy and uh doing a more sustainable supply chain just in that. Um, But also the shelf life is a lot longer. So the shelf life for these is a year versus things that are produced in a refrigerated setting um, that can be, you know, a couple months. And so there's a lot less food waste in our method of manufacturing as well. Um, And the packaging that we're using is fiber based versus plastic. And so there's a lot of interest in that. Um, and it's becoming increasingly more recyclable across the United States. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of interest that just our business model lends itself to sustainability and those types of values that cust- our customers and all sorts of manufacturers are seeking.
0: Yeah, you know, I hadn't really thought about it from that angle. But when you have a, an aseptic brand, uh, product that, you know, has that long shelf life and doesn't have to be refrigerated, you're able to reach a broader market. I mean, you can reach into other countries, other places where you know it could be very challenging to get like a like a, you know traditional uh, dairy.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think you do have to refrigerate it after opening. I should say that. But until you open it, um, it can sit on a shelf. Um, you know, we've seen that these types of products are used a lot when there are weather events and there's no electricity or things like that. Like you can, you can stock up in your on your pantry, in your basement, whatever, and have these things available for use when you need them without having to worry, are they going to go bad? Are they going to expire? Am I going to waste this food? Um, and so it's a, I think that's also why it's a really great option for, um, for food service, too, because a lot of times there's not as much refrigerated space, but there's a lot of pantry space. So when you need to use that type of product, you just throw it in the fridge and you're ready to go um, versus having to store, you know, a dozen packages in the fridge at a time.
0: Yeah, no, it it just, it makes total sense. And we all hate plastic. So, (laughs) I mean, the fact that you're into fiber, that's, that's fantastic. So I want you to kind of walk us through the, your particular expertise of growing specifically a food manufacturing business and this I I really want to tailor this for that that small that mid-sized food manufacturer that they're trying to grow they're trying to scale you've been there you've done that so I'd love to hear your thoughts on you know what are some you know practical ways that a, a food manufacturer can or should be thinking about growing their business
1: yeah um it's a great question um, for me, there's been a couple things that have been really key. And one of them is finding something you're really great at and honing in on that thing, um, you know, and not spreading yourself too thin by doing a bunch of different things. Um, and for us, we've been making soy milk for decades. Like we've always been in plant-based milks before it was cool. So we've known how to You know, take plants, different seeds, nuts, legumes, grains, um, and extract the, the liquid and turn them into plant based milks. And so for us, that was a really important competency when we were looking how to grow and really focusing on okay, we're really good at plant based milks. In fact, we're one of the original plant based milk manufacturers, not just only packaging, but taking the raw ingredient and transforming it into a a beneficial liquid. Um, And how do we expand that capability, you know, beyond soy um, and looking ahead into the next thing. And we've experimented with a lot of different things. Um, We've, you know, looked at other seeds like sunflower seeds, and we've looked at other legumes like chickpeas, and there's just countless numbers of different um, plants that have all sorts of different benefits uh, but what's really important is to make sure you know how to take those things and turn them into something that consumers will value and then get really really good at that thing
0: and by the way i noticed where your r d team is up for an award
1: they are up for an award they're the best r d team in the entire business um i am so proud of them uh, and so they are up for best r d team or r d team of the year um, it's an award from Food Processing Magazine, um, and they've just, our R&D team wears so many hats, not only developing, you know, the food um, and beverage products that we sell, but they help our plants run better, they um, help our customers develop things and problem solve, they work with our quality teams to make sure, you know, what they kind of created in the lab is coming out right at the plants, and um, and they work incredibly hard, and so they're they're very deserving of this recognition.
0: Well, it it only seemed natural that we give them a little shout out, <laughs> you know, because we're talking about something that you do really well. And without your R and D team, how could you, you know, expand your your line? I call it a um, like a line extension. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the way you put it. You you really know what you do exceptionally well, and then you just find other applications for it, and that would be your your um, your foundational point of, of how to grow a business.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, our, our company has recognized how important it is to have a strong R&D team and invest in that capability. And so we actually just moved to a new office. Um, and the impetus behind that was to have a much more sophisticated R&D space. So now we sit in a space that you know, share its shared space with a pilot plant and a brand new R&D innovation lab um, so that we can get even better and give our R&D team the right tools uh, to make sure that they're continuing to, you know, be experts in this field and stay on top of what's going on across all of our categories, but also bring customers in so that we can work very collaboratively with them in this new space, so it's been really great to see, you know, our investment and prioritization of the R and D teams and the work that they do.
0: Well, I know I got you off track. I'm like a golden retriever. You know, I see a ball, <laughs> I see a ball, I see a squirrel, and then I'm off. So I want to get you back on mission. Okay, so your first point is well taken. So what else would you recommend? Uh,
1: the other, the other thing I was thinking about with this question is finding the right partners to grow with. Um, I think it's really hard to grow, to just do it all yourself. And so one of the things is we've been fortunate to to work with some of the, the greatest companies in the industry, both big and small. Um, and to your earlier question about, you know, how do you make sure you're compatible with your customers? Do you, you know, do you ever talk about values and how, you know, how you work together? And I think that's a really important thing. Um, and we work with, some of the the largest players in the industry. And we we try to be a very strategic partner to everyone we work with, not just a transactional partner. You know, a transactional partner is you put in your order, we make the cases, you pick them up. A strategic partner is how do we look long-term together and make joint investments, joint commitments, um, and go down these paths together? Because in those situations, you both win, you both grow. Um, and so that's, I think, really key is instead of a um, if you build it, they will come model, it's how do we build it together and and both grow and, and win at the same time?
0: So sorry, field of dreams lovers, it's not always <laughs> if you build it, they will come. All right, you have to have joint Uh, joint investments from both sides. Can you, are you prepared to just give us a quick example of what that means uh, practically uh, in terms of joint investments?
1: Um, I can. I mean, one of the things that we've been doing over the last few years is really building out our manufacturing capabilities. And so we have, uh, I've got four manufacturing plants in my business and we're building a fifth uh, down in Texas. And so we'll actually have a a diamond of manufacturing, if you will. So, West Coast, East Coast, um, North Midwest, and and then Texas. Um, and so, it's something that we offer to our customers uh, is the ability to produce more locally to the regions where you want to distribute and produce the same item in multiple plants. So you're not trucking things all over the country. Um, it's more sustainable. It saves everybody money in logistics and trucks. Um, And so, but before we went and built that new plant, you know, we had to work with our our customers and say, okay, we're going to go build some more capacity. Um, You know, is this something that you would be interested in? And let's make sure that we're building the types of packaging, the lines, the capabilities that... You're going to use, and so we, you know, talk to different customers to try to understand how their businesses are going to grow, and then make sure that we're aligning our capabilities to their growth as well. Um, and then we we kind of commit and go in together.
0: Well, I guess when I heard you say joint investment, I was thinking that they were literally, you know, putting money into. When I th- when I hear the word investment, I just think money.
1: Yeah, and for the most part, um, we. We are doing. We like to own our own manufacturing assets because we have spent a lot of time um, and effort developing kind of proprietary processes and ways of manufacturing. And so, um, don't and, and we have a lot of different customers. So it's really hard to have customers own a piece of that. But in terms of investment, you know, it's hard for us to make those investments without commitments from our customers. And so, I understand what you mean. You're just talking an, about
0: business. Uh, longer
1: term business commitments. There, yeah.
0: Okay, I understand. More just understanding that you're you are making the investment, and that there's a in an expectation. We'll just leave it at that. That they're going to continue mm-hmm. to expand their business with you. So that's that's how they invest is by putting their their future business into you. So that that makes sense,
1: right? And, and we wouldn't be able to do that if we didn't kind of have a track record of success with these customers and of helping build businesses together and just really strong relationships. And that's, I think, you know, it's the earlier point about find the right partners. Uh, I think it's so critical. Um, another one is I do think that sometimes it takes a lot of time to scale. Uh, and so this, the idea of kind of, Oh, I'm going to do this thing and my business will instantly hockey stick. Uh, I'm in Minnesota, so I have to make a hockey reference. Um, is not uh, you is just not lost the half the
0: audience. No, I'm I just Go ahead. <laughs>
1: um, is not the reality. Uh, we it takes us a really long time. Like when we were developing oat milk, it took months and months and months to develop our proprietary process, um, and then it took uh, investment and lead times and getting things up and running, and then it took time to get the right kind of customer base on board and get the business going. And it, it just, it takes time. And so you have to um, go in with the expectation that there's going to be different phases of building and growing and scaling. Um, and it's not instant. And so setting your own expectations and those that are going on the journey with you uh, is really important.
0: In your case, you want stakeholders to understand and have the right kind of expectations. If you're a small company and you're getting investment from banks or from other, you know, angel investors, they need to understand it takes time to scale. So your advice is you need to let people know it's not going to happen overnight.
1: It's not going to happen overnight, but also I, it's always good to have a plan. This is what it's going to look like just so you can bring people along in the journey. And especially course, in today's... Yeah,
0: the, the pro forma or whatever it is that, exactly. that you're working with. Yeah.
1: And especially in today's environment where... Um, you know, the, the supply chain is just, things are taking longer. There's sort of scarcity of uh, certain materials and things like that. I, mean, I think it's especially true.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point. Um, how difficult is it now when you are planning to go into some kind of a line extension and you're having to look out into the future and estimate, will this supply chain remain stable? you know, can I even open up this line of business? Because if you invest all your time and money and then you have a a major disruption for six months, I mean, you've essentially lost everything.
1: Yeah. It's really, really hard. Um, And that's exactly the types of things that we're, we're dealing with today that we have never had to deal with before or just not to this extent. Um, You, you definitely have to look out much further on ingredients, make sure to secure those ingredients, lead times are a lot longer. So there's a lot more planning on, okay, if we're going to produce this date, when do we need to order things? When do we need to lock things in? Um, Much more kind of pre-planning, especially for uh, any inputs that are based on an agricultural cycle. So for example, oats are a crop. There's a certain planting time, harvest time. Um, Same with soybeans. And so for those things where typically we just go, you know, year to year, you're you're buying them. There's not an issue. Now we're partnering a lot more further out with farmers, with processors um, to make sure that we have supply when we need it.
0: Yeah, it just sounds like working in ag would be so difficult right now with that in. Fertilization costs, you know, f- uh, input energy costs. Yeah, it's it's very challenging because your end product is for the consumer, and they can only absorb so much in terms of price.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we saw last year is um, the growing conditions. The drought really affected the oat crop, and so there was a lot uh, fewer oats in the market than typically, and that scarcity. Um, especially as oats are peaking in popularity in a lot of areas, um, were was was driving up prices. And so we do hope that uh, with more um, water, hopefully this year, more acres planted, that we will see a turnaround in that supply. Um, but there's a lot of other dynamics in, in agriculture too. And so we try to uh, keep on top of all of that and, and just figure out all the different puts and takes as we're planning for our business. And that's another reason why we're really proud to be um, producing plant-based milks is just when you compare to dairy milk, those resources that are used, you know, land use and water use and um, emissions are much lower. And so we, you know, make a little bit of a choice, but, um, drink a little more oat milk or soy milk or rice milk versus dairy milk. And, you know, it feels like you're helping just a little bit. And if everybody does a little bit, it helps a lot.
0: It seems like most homes now kind of split their milk between, you know, dairy and some kind of an alternate. I know we do. It's like, it's just very common now.
1: Yeah, we do too. We have in our fridge um, dairy milk and we use soy milk for smoothies because of the higher protein content. And we use oat milk for coffee because it just is so creamy and delicious. And I think that's, uh, as we've done different consumer studies, that seems to be very, very common that consumers are buying different milks for either different usages or different members of their family who prefer things or just have different um, dietary needs. And uh, I, you know, I also think that we're seeing a lot of really interesting um, flavors and options come out of the, the non-dairy milk. So we're seeing more kind of seasonal flavors, um, different blends. And so there's a lot for consumers to really be interested in and try.
0: Well, I know you're not a food scientist, but what seems to be the challenge of making an alternate milk taste, you know, what you like, what you're used to with cereal?
1: Well, it depends what your base is. And that is one of the trends we're seeing is similar to the the plant-based meat side where before a few years ago, you were seeing kind of these veggie burgers that were the shape of a burger, but didn't really taste like it. And now you're seeing the impossibles and the beyonds really try to mimic um, not just the shape, but the taste and the look and the feel and the mouthfeel of meat. You're seeing that more with... Dairy um, as well, so it'll be interesting to see what consumers um, what consumers gravitate towards. You're seeing a lot of companies try to find um, exact kind of matches for dairy milk, but using plant based ingredients. And so there's a lot of more more blends coming out of lots of different things, not just a pure almond base or an oat base, um, but uh, you know, different things that bring, bring different parts of that dairy experience into the product. One of the hardest things is that dairy comes with um, certain, certain structure. It has certain proteins um, and certain other things that allow it to act like it does just naturally. Plants don't naturally have those things. So, for example, when you pour, you know, dairy milk into coffee, it just blends sort of seamlessly and stands up to coffee. But usually in plant-based milk, like they don't have the same protein structure and coffee's acidic and very hot. And so it's kind of a harsh environment. And so if you don't formulate something the right way, it's going to curdle, it's going to break down and it won't be um, dangerous, but it just, it might not taste as good and it might not look as appealing. And so that's what the challenges for R&D teams all over the industry is to try to, to match that experience um, using plant-based ingredients uh, to match that very specific and very functional structure of dairy.
0: Well, I'm going to have to try oat milk in my coffee. I think that's a great idea. I hadn't thought of that one. So,
1: Well, if you are, I should promote our own brand, Sown is an organic oat uh, coffee creamer, and it is absolutely delicious and so it's in four flavors right now but it's we we like to think that we're a particular expertise is plant-based milks um and coffee uh because it's a very common usage occasion and so uh definitely give that one a try you can order it on amazon or get it in <clears throat>
0: samples <clears throat> samples <clears throat> i didn't know oh, so i understood um <laughs> I'm going to have to try that. And other, other than uh, Amazon, are are they in other uh, grocery retail nationally or is it more specialty?
1: Yeah, they're in every every Whole Foods, I believe. And then um, Sprouts, if you live in an area where you have Sprouts and we're always adding new stores all the time. So uh, keep checking. But I think those are probably the, the surest bets right now.
0: I heard someone say this and I, I, I love the way they frame this. They're like, well, If I could go back and do this business over again, this is what I would have done different. Now, I know you didn't start this business, but if you could go back two, three, four years knowing what you know now and you want to grow this manufacturing business, is there anything you would do different?
1: I would have invested in oat milk a lot sooner. No question. Um, I think we've been managing to keep up with it. Uh, but I wish we could be adding more capacity much more quickly because every time um, we add capacity, you know, it gets utilized right away just because of the the growth, and then it takes another twelve to eighteen months to add more. And so um, I think we've done probably better than most job of keeping up with the demand and trying to look ahead and um, get ourselves up and running with more capacity, but you know, there all, there could have, if I, if I went back in time, there could have been more. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and so that, but that's a really hard thing. It's easy to say looking backwards um, but that that would have been a successful thing to do, but it's a really hard thing to say and do at the time.
0: No, I know. But sometimes though, I'll get an interesting answer though, because you know, you, who knows what you could have said and it might've led to, you know, a different decision that someone else could make. But then again, if we've got some startup companies out there that are looking at, you know, potentials, you know, you've just pretty much told them oat milk is where we need more volume. Um, And I know, I don't know that you prepared this information, so you may not have it, but do you know roughly the kind of the market size for oat and kind of what um, some of the projections might be for it off cuff?
1: It's still growing at triple digits. The hard thing about figuring out the market size is there are so many channels that are not tracked. So we don't really have great tracking for what's going on in food service. And that's been actually where oat milk kind of got its start in um, coffee shops. And so that part is really hard to track. And it's, it's just exploded in that. In that industry. Uh, So I would say, you know, that's probably a huge portion of where it's sold and where it's consumed, um, as well as just retail, um, people purchasing it online, that sort of thing. But it's um, certainly in the like several hundred millions and continuing to grow really fast.
0: Well, I've had recently a few more female executives on and to no fault. You know, there's just, there don't seem to be as many. And I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we we've had this time and I'm curious, do you have any advice that you'd like to, to offer up? We have, maybe someone's given you a great piece of advice. That you'd like to share it just kind of.
1: Um, in general, I would say, uh, I am a big fan of listening to your gut. Um, you know, business, personal career decisions, all of those things. I also like, I make lists and I look at things very analytically, but ultimately I think that, um, you know, you kind of know what's best for you. I think, you know, a lot more than you do about, or, or than you think you do sometimes about your business, about the right way to go about different decisions that should be made. And, um, I think we should all do a much better job of kind of listening to our gut and our kind of, you know, internal, uh, you know, know how to give us direction.
0: That is good advice. And there are people who have very strong feelings, and you should not stuff them. You should not ignore them. We like to say if you have a strong feeling when you're trying to make a decision, that is sometimes just a big sign. Could be from the universe, wherever. You need to stop and pay attention and get to the bottom of it and figure out what direction is that trying to take you. And who knows? Maybe you go back three years, you have that feeling oat milk. And you. <laughs> Well, I, well, I usually
1: the, think that once you see, you start to see something pop up in a lot of different places that are not connected. And that's how I felt oat, like oat milk was popping up in all these different things. And it started to congeal for me that this was, this was a thing that was going to be big.
0: I agree with you. That's really one good way to kind of suss out what is happening when you see similar data points from completely like non-connected areas that's right. when it's kind of like, okay, I need to pay attention to this, you know, this, right. something's this, going something. on. Yes. Um, well, before we go, is the, were there any other thoughts you wanted to add to our initial topic of, you know, growing? I, I know why, I, again, I took you off track. Uh, I think we had three or four. Were there any others that you wanted to make sure you get in?
1: I mean, I think those are the key ones. And in addition, I would just say, Um, I I just love the team that I work with here. And so I think it's really important to surround yourself with good people who collaborate well, who are, you know, smart and talented and that you like working with every single day, um, because that's made um, my job here just so enjoyable, uh, is working with an amazing team that that really gels and works well together.
0: And, you know, backhandedly, you just you just said, you work with uh and an experienced headhunter i that's what i that's what i heard
1: is that what you heard Yeah. <laughs> that's what
0: i heard very clearly no you bring up a great point um trying to manage strategically and operationally and from an execution standpoint you just can't do it you have to have a solid team every executive that comes on they talk about even for growing brands, sometimes you need to hire a little earlier than you think you should Mm -hmm. and absolutely hire the very best person you can find and get people in the right spots. It's a very complicated business. So, um, well, Lauren, thank you so much. I think we um, definitely got some good ideas about how to grow a manufacturing business and uh, really just the, I think the continued growth that we're going to see in, in Alt Dairy is it's going to be there.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm really excited to see how this um, part of the industry grows and changes over the next few years. And we'll, we'll be there working to help grow it.
0: Now, if someone wants to connect with you guys and kind of tap into some of these capabilities for either you know white labeling or co-packing, what's the best way for them to connect with, with you guys?
1: Yeah, they can go right to our website, synopta.com, and at the top, there's some navigation that helps look at all the different things that we do, um, and uh, when you kind of click into them, there's ways to get in touch with us.
0: It's a very good website. There's a lot there. I mean, there's, a, you know, I, I do would encourage people to go to it. There's a lot of data. It's very well organized, and yeah, you guys are definitely in um, like three or four different categories. It's pretty pretty impressive. Lauren, thank thank you you so much for for taking time out of your busy day to talk to us here on the Winning at Work podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun to chat with you.